Guys, here's what we're going to do. We're starting a new series today called Big Faith. Here's my question for you. Where do you use faith right now in your life? Where is faith required of you right now? Because I can promise you, God is drawing you to a place of faith and a greater place of faith. So where is faith required of you today? For many of us, we go around kind of the Christian life and we just check out of the whole faith journey. But where do you need faith today? Because there should be a a pressing up against something where you can do nothing but trust God. Where is that? Does it exist? I watched a documentary this past, uh, this past weekend on Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. Does anybody remember in the late 90s that just epic showdown between Tyson and Holyfield? Does anybody remember? There wasn't just one fight. There was two fights. Uh, and in the first fight, I forgot some of it. But Evander Holyfield was, was not the favorite to win The odds were against him 25 to 1. So much so that he jokingly said that my fight is the easiest way for you to get rich. Bet on me. Because it's 25 to 1. The odds were against him. And so here he is. You can hear him interviewed and he's just calm and collected. And and I realize that, that you might be sitting here thinking, well, This isn't faith that would cause you to enter a ring. This is stupidity. But just hold that thought for one second because this was this man's career. This is what he had been training for. And he actually is a lover of Jesus, uh, somebody who who was a regular uh, Christ follower. And he sat here and in these interviews just described time after time after time again, how he felt God had called him to trust him to get into this ring to fight Mike Tyson. It's fascinating to me. And if you know the story, you know that he did. And the the guy that was not favored to win gave Mike Tyson a thumping. And it was considered one of the greatest upsets in sports history. If you have Netflix, do yourself a favor. It is quite enjoyable. That being said, where are you using faith? Where are you trusting God? Where are the odds against you? Think about it for a second. Because none of us would sit here and say, oh, I don't need any more faith. Of course you do. I do. We all do. But where do you need faith? What are, what are you believing for? What are you believing in? I'll give you a couple examples. Maybe it's, maybe it's not something super duper important. Maybe you just are the guy or the girl who has that unrelenting faith in your sports team. And that no matter what happens, they're going to win. That's not really faith most of the time. That's blind faith, so to speak. But what about other things? What about the medical diagnosis that you get? 
that says one thing. And you have to choose to believe and trust God regardless. What about the business that on paper is just not working out and you're, you're trying to decide, do I hang up the towel? Do I not? And your friends think you're crazy, but you sense God trusting, asking you to trust him. What do you do? Do you have faith? What about the relationship that by all means is dead? But you sense that calling of God to continue believing. Are you using faith? Are you actually trusting him? Where is it that the odds are against you? Because those are the places where you just might see God move the most powerfully. Because those are the places where he is asking you and I to have great faith. Not just a little bit of faith, not just some faith, but big faith. And if you're like me, I need more. Sometimes I, I turn on the TV or I watch the news and I think, oh my gosh, like, Jesus, you're, what's happening here? Can you really, God, turn this around? Can you really turn the marriage around, the sickness around, the job around, the paycheck around, my life around? Can you really do it? We need faith, don't we? Here's what we're going to do. Over the next couple weeks, we're talking about this conversation of faith. We're talking about big faith. And we're actually going to look at the life of Gideon, who is a man in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges. But I want to settle something here because in America in particular, we have a very confused idea. And I even sprinkled some in on purpose of what faith is. We're confused by it. We sometimes find it to be positive thinking. And if I just think positively about my situation, well, that's faith. Or, or, I, or I have blind faith and I just stick my head in the sand, stick a Jesus verse on it, and that's faith as well. Pleading ignorance. And neither of those things are actually having faith. Oh, there's a lot of great authors out there who will encourage you to have positive vibes have a great energy. And they describe it, and they'll even use Bible verses, but I want you to hear this morning. That's not really faith. That's faith in yourself. And what we're talking about today is how to have big faith in God. You guys ready? Yes. That's going to be good. Now, I realize it's summertime. And summertime means everybody kind of just has a little bit of a sleepy, you know, I wish I was at the lake kind of a vibe. You need to stick with me today. Are you guys alive? You with me today? All right, let's get into this. Judges chapter 6. And I'm going to pray for us before we actually jump in. Father, be with us. God, as a church, we need faith. As people, we need faith. Faith for our marriages. God, faith for our children. Faith to be parents. God, faith for the job, faithful, faithfulness to stay in the job. God, we need to be full of faith. Help us, Lord, today. In the name of Jesus, amen. The first six verses of Judges, 
we hear about Israel, God's people. And you know what they've been doing? They've been not following him. They've been disobedient. They've been running the opposite direction, so to speak. And we see consistently throughout the book of Judges that God resists their effort to find life and salvation and peace in anything but him. And so time and time and time again, they are delivered over to the hands of their enemies. And God, after they choose to cry out to him and turn back to him, he raises up a deliverer, the foreshadowing of the ultimate deliverance to come through Jesus Christ. But he raises up people who foreshadow Jesus and rescue God's people and set them on the path to pursuing him and obeying him. And that's where we find ourselves today here in Judges 6, with a guy named Gideon. And so the two lands, Midian, the Midianites, the Amalekites, they have been whooping God's people. Now imagine wherever you live. Imagine your neighborhood, uh, your apartment complex. Imagine that you have to leave that home, that apartment complex, and go find a makeshift tent or make one in the hills. Because every time you finally get settled, your enemy comes in and burns it to the ground, decimates it, kills people, steals your stuff, steals your crops. Every time they finally had a crop, the Amalekites and Midianites would come in and they would take it. You know how aggravating that would be? Every paycheck that you finally have, deep breath, gone. And so we find the Israelites, they're hiding in the hills, okay? They're, they're, they're running to the Blue Ridge Mountains, so to speak, and they're just, they're finding places to settle, to hide, to get by. This is not, by the way, good living, nor is it the destiny that God has for his people. And on one such occasion, we see uh, this guy by the name of Gideon. And what is he doing? He's threshing the wheat. But where is he threshing the wheat? Which, which is a fancy way of, unless you farm, you're sifting the wheat that you might be able to use it for, for grain and bread and things like that. And you would do it out in the open and you throw it up in the air after you've been pounding it with a hammer and the air would separate the grain from the chafe, so to speak. And he's doing this in a wine press, something deep in the ground, so that he won't be seen. Because he's so nervous about his enemy knowing that they have crops, knowing that they have some food, that he's having to literally hide just to get some grub on his table. Imagine what you're doing for lunch in just a few minutes. But instead of you just having the freedom to go home to your house or go to La Bamba or go to Willie's or wherever it is that you go eat, you have to do it in hiding because you don't want somebody to see you. That's the backdrop and setting we have for Gideon. And God calls him, just like he calls you and me, to have big faith. So here we are in Judges 6, verse 11 through 13. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Ab- Abiezrite, 
where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but uh, dot, 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 last time I checked. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? In other words, angel, I've, I've heard all of the amazing things that my ancestors have said about God, but I'm not seeing any of it. Here you are rolling up calling me mighty warrior, and I'm literally in this moment hiding, threshing out the wheat so I can have a meal. What's the deal? The Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Verse 15, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I skipped a verse in there, which I'm going to unpack in just a second. Angel of the Lord is calling this scared guy a mighty warrior. And in verse 14, which we'll get to in a second, he tells, he tells Gideon that he's going to lead an army to fight the enemy. And Gideon has all of the answers and all of the reasons why that's not to be the case. Here's what we want to get at today and in the weeks to come because we're talking about faith and we're talking about trusting God and we're talking about believing God even in the midst of impossible odds. And here's your big idea for today, that with God what you see is not what you get. What you see typically is what you get. You've got the, the you know, the, the person, the, the loud, the, the Andy King, who's, who's passionate. I'm kind of one of those people, you, there's not a whole lot of emotions that you're not going to tell that I'm feeling. Our staff laughs at me because if they say something that I'm, I'm not real interested in or I don't like in staff meeting, they know instantly that I don't really like it. They'll make fun of me over it. They hurt my feelings over it. (laughs) What you see with me is generally what you get. And obviously not everyone is like that. But with God, it's far greater. What you see with God is, is, is not even scratching the surface with what you actually get with God. Walk with me here. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Gideon is listed in the hall of fame of faith here in the next verse in Hebrews. For trusting God even when he didn't see what the next step actually looked like. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that we live by faith and not by sight. And if you live by sight, 
which is really easy to do. I would say that many of us in this room are doing that literally right now. Everything that you do, every calculated step you make is about what you see and can safely step into. And I want you to hear this, that God has not called you to live that way. He has called you and me to be a people of faith, people that walk and live not by what we see, but by the leading of God. And that can be really, really scary. And that's why an angel of the Lord can, can appear to Gideon and say, how you doing, man? God's with you, mighty warrior. Even though Gideon is hiding in a wine press, grinding out some grain to have a meal later that night. But God sees something that he wants Gideon to see. He wants Gideon to stop looking at the reality of his situation. Trust God for what could be. Does that make sense? I need that. Even as I was working on the message this week, I, I was just rebuffed in my own spirit at how much I am, I am great at looking at a situation and assessing it, looking at the numbers, knowing the statistics, knowing whether we can, whether we can, and all those things are of value. But the amount of people in Scripture from beginning to end who stepped out even when it didn't look or make sense, and God did the miraculous through it. That's pretty powerful. I remember, did anybody go to the mall when they were in, anybody? I have so many thoughts running through my mind. They're all getting crisscrossed. If you have contacts, if you have glasses, raise your hand for a second. It's a lot of people. I grew up, uh, I got my first pair of glasses in third grade. I did my best to find a picture because you would have been so blessed by what I looked like. With, it was like a Hubble Space Telescope strapped to my face. It was the biggest pair of glasses ever. And we went to the mall. There weren't a whole lot of glasses stores outside of the mall back then, and so you went to the mall. And I, I remembered thinking, I don't really need glasses. Meanwhile, I'm sitting like a foot in front of the giant wooden box television with the turn dial because that's what I grew up with in the 80s in St. Louis. And I can't see a darn thing unless I'm right next to it. And this is generally how I would read. But the funny thing is when you can't see well and it's all you've ever seen, you don't know that there's anything different. You don't know that there's anything better. And so I went to the store I picked out a pair of glasses that were hideous. We came back after they were done. And I remember putting on, I remember it like it was yesterday, putting on that pair of glasses and stepping out into the, the main hallway, so to speak, the, the walkway of the mall. And I had this, my pair of glasses on, and I could read the signs of these stores that were so far away. And I literally just stopped. And I said, Mom, I can read that sign all the way down there. She's like, yeah, son, that's, that's what normal people do. 
I couldn't believe that I could see so far. And I literally, for the rest of the day at the mall, I'm reading everything out loud. You know, CompUSA, Babbage's. You know, that's, you guys remember CompUSA? Anybody? Oh, yeah. That's exactly right. I was reading all the stores. I was probably the most obnoxious kid in the world, a third grader, and I couldn't stop reading everything that I could finally see for the first time out loud as if it was just going to amaze everyone. When the reality is, this was what normative vision was to look like. And for us as Christians to take the step of faith when things don't always look clear, when things look a little bit dangerous, when the odds might be against you, I'm not inviting you to be reckless, but I am inviting you to trust God in a fresh and new way today because for you to just always look at the situation and make the judgment, that is not the kind of vision that God has called you to see with. He has called you to trust him even when it doesn't look good and even when it doesn't make sense. And so back to Gideon, he does what most people do. Mighty warrior, God is with us and he gives the list. He says God is punishing us. It doesn't look like he's here. Oh, by the way, I'm weak. P.S. I'm hiding right now. You caught me hiding right this second. I'm from the weakest clan. And I'm the weakest one in my family. But God sees something different. He says, God is with you, mighty warrior. And I have chosen you my paraphrase, to lead my people to deliverance. And Gideon rises to the challenge, and we'll see in the weeks to come. He goes on to become one of the greatest warriors in all of Scripture. Listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith as one of the greatest people in human history to trust God. Yet it doesn't feel like God is here. I'm weak, my family's weak, and I'm the weakest one in my family. I'm the weakest one in my weak family. (laughs) Things aren't going well for you. I'm with you, mighty warrior. And I'm inviting you to see something different. I love what Gideon does because it's something that oftentimes we don't do well. And he brings the facts to the table. I love that he doesn't doesn't just gloss over that. Because there are situations that you need to assess the facts that are in front of you. Because faith isn't an invitation for you to be ignorant to be reckless or stick your head in the sand and just pretend that everything's going to be fine and slap a Jesus label on it and say you're having faith when in fact you're not. You're just choosing to ignore some difficult truths. But faith 
It does not ignore the facts. Faith accepts the facts, but trusts God anyway. And so when I asked you at the beginning, where are you using faith? Where are you using faith? Because some of you, you have accepted the facts and you're living there. God's asked you to move beyond that. I'm with you. And although you don't see it, you're a mighty warrior. I'm seeing what you're not seeing. Would you open your eyes and take a step of faith today? I realize the medical diagnosis says this. I'm not asking you to ignore that. I'm asking you to trust me in the midst of it. You see, God, I don't see myself as whole, I see myself as, as broken. Okay, fair enough. Those are the facts. You're broken. How I see you, though, is whole and victorious. I don't see myself as healed. I don't see myself as put together, but I do. Don't ignore the facts, but will you trust him anyways? In the midst of them. Think of the people in Scripture that did so. Abraham, he was 100 years old. God said, you're going to have some kids. Time out. I'm 100 years old. Without denying the fact that he was 100, he trusted God anyway. Think of Moses who was called to deliver God's people and here he is with millions of them at the edge of the Red Sea. God, we're going to drown. Why did you bring us out here? But even though the water is lapping at my toes, I'm going to trust you in the midst of these facts. I'm going to raise my staff and I'm going to ask you, God, to do something with this water. Oh, the scripture's full. Joshua, Gideon, Rahab, the minor prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Men doing and fighting against or resisting all of the odds and trusting God, not ignorantly, but even with the information they have. They take it. They don't ignore it, and they trust God regardless. And some of you are here today, I'm telling you right now, you've got businesses in you. The God has invited you, he's asking you to trust him with. And all the odds don't, they're stacked up against you. Trust him. Trust him. Some of you would believe the facts about your marriage, that it's hopeless, that it cannot be repaired. False. It can. That isn't true. The facts are in, and things may not be in a good place. That's real. But that doesn't mean that God can't do something about it. Okay, the facts are in, and this person has cancer. Okay. We're not ignoring the fact that that's true, but that doesn't mean that God can't do something about it. We're choosing to trust anyway. 
And the list goes on and on and on. What kind of people are we going to be? People of faith? Or people who just live our life one foot in front of the other because that's what we can see? Some of you, some of us, some of we need a prescription change. We need a new pair of glasses, so to speak. You need to walk out into the mall and say, my God, I can see. I can trust God this way. In the midst of pain, in the midst of brokenness, in the the midst of anger, in the midst of jealousy, in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of, pick whatever it is that you're going through. We as a people of God are called to faith. That you wouldn't just live by what you see, but that you would live putting your trust in God and living by a higher code, something even greater than what your natural eyes tell you. I use the analogy of a prescription, but it's really not even, that's not even a fair analogy because it's not that your vision just needs to get better. You need a whole new set of eyes to see with. Verse 14, the Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go, in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? See, for many of us, faith is about things. It's faith for things. It's faith for something when God is asking us to have faith in someone. Am I not sending you? Meaning, is this not is this not about me? Is this not about my mission? Is this not about my goodness? Is this not about my greatness? Listen, it's about me. Now I'm asking you to trust that and to go. Go in the strength that you have. And Trust me. Take a step of faith and trust me. Open your mouth and trust me. Extend a hand and trust me. Go to your workplace and trust me. Go to your spouse and trust me. Am I not sending you? So go. Don't hang back anymore. Go. Go in faith and do something about it. I know many of you 
have experienced faith, a hurt faith. And so trusting God in these moments, it's not easy. And I want you to know it wasn't easy for Gideon either. It's not easy for me either. I love Jesus. I've been walking with him for a long time. And you know what? Every time I'm called to a a place of faith, there is always, there's always nerves. There's always pain. There's always a letting go. And this morning, that's our invitation. As we begin the journey to having big faith, at the end of the day, it is God who is inviting you to do it. It is God who is sending you to do it. It is about God. It is about his mission. It is about his glory. And so you and I get to do one thing, and that's take a step of faith and trust him. Trust him at work. Trust him in your house. Trust him with your job. Trust him with school. Trust him with your medical report. Trust him with your doctor and your children and your church. Amen.